Otherwise, it, there's no chance I'm going to get my crows while we're underway. It's not going to happen. <clears throat> yeah. That rank is, uh, right. is, is, is hard to come by, and especially in a, in a job where there's not a lot of movement, upward mobility, right? It's mm-hmm. definitely, uh, that can be really difficult. But I think the one of the one, one the one of the one, um, the things that, I mean, a lot of people just don't know anything about what, how the Coast Guard operates. One of the things that drew me yeah. with, I almost joined the Coast Guard originally, was the fact that there are Coast Guard ships on the Great Lakes, right? Yeah. So I, I like Lake Powell, uh, freaking Great Lakes. Um, it's, uh, you think of the Coast Guard as protecting our coasts, right? as their primary objective. At least that's what I always thought. Yeah. But you, you went to some ports that like you went to some foreign ports that like I would dream about going to. Um, did you know that going in? Was there ever a, was there ever like a laid out plan? Cause I know when we went on cruise, it was like, Hey, we're going on a freaking three month to four month deployment. We're going to be hitting this country, this country, this country, this country. The time is like TBD, but we're going to be making these stops. Like we're like, Oh shit, we're going to Thailand this time. Did you guys know that going oh, yeah, in or was it yeah, just, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah. guys knew they, like we're going South. Yeah. I knew my first trip was a South Pat and I was going to go to see, um, not Peru this time around. I went to Panama, Costa Rica, Guatemala. And yeah, it was a, it was a hell of a time. Those are, yeah. uh, you know, I, I was actually looking at, uh, traveling to, uh, I think it was Costa Rica in mm-hmm. the the fall of this coming year uh we ended up doing booking a, a european river tour instead um but damn the viking cruise the, can I, th- I i don't know if it was like a viking cruise damn. my parents were talking about it it's like this that this wondering you basically get to build your own tour experience it sounds really cool i'm really excited like you know that's right uh they're like yo don't you want to be able to go to germany and do some beer tasting i was like are you you're, you're speaking yeah. my language here. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I'm, uh, so what are some of the, what were some of the coolest, like, you know, moments being in a different country? Cause th- was this your first experience of being able to go out of country or, uh, did you have, w- did you have an ex- any experience going, you know, to different, uh, to different countries before you joined the military? I've been to Mexico, um, but I hadn't been to other, any other country besides that. This was my kind of my first uh, taste of being outside. But I had been to a bunch of other states, and so it wasn't that terrifying to me. It was pretty uh, easy, you know? It's just Spanish. Right. You know, don't be a stupid tourist. And I've always been really great about being respectful of other cultures, especially when I'm traveling there. So this was very enjoyable. So uh, my favorite thing I ever did was definitely hitting up Panama. Um, one of the, one of my favorite times, at least, uh, we were, um, I remember which, which time it was, I think I've been there at least 30 times. And I remember we were at the hard rock cafe and that doesn't sound like a lot to you guys, but the hard rock and Panama city is a holy shit Mecca of parties. It's like, I think it has like 10 clubs. Um, and it's out of this world. And on one occasion, my buddy, and ended up uh, getting a chance to DJ because he's a DJ and he makes his own music and all that. So he somehow talked the owner in, because we had been there so many times, he talked the owner into letting him come up and spin a couple sets. And so we were hanging out, we're dancing with, the, with a couple ladies and all that. We're just having a good time drinking and doing whatnot. And I remember a buddy of mine like lit himself on fire because he did that Ferrari drink where you like 
Were you, um, <laughs> yeah. were, were you like light the alcohol on fire and all that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And, but I look over to my left and there's 50 cent hanging out with my buddy who's DJing. Like 50 cent is just chilling there. He's just chilling there, just drinking. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I look over at him and he's just, he's like, he's just pointing at him. He's like, Oh my God. And it was just one of those weird things where we all just ended up hanging out with him, chatting with him. Nuts. So you got to like hang out and chat with 50 cent. That's what you're you're telling me right here. We weren't like, like being weird, all being all tourists, like asking for pictures. We were just hanging out and having a beer, just talking. And then, and then he went back up and started spinning his set and we went back to dancing and having a good time. It was just, that's the kind of things you just did, you know? Like there's other things that would happen. Like, like I wasn't there for this particular thing, but the story has gotten passed down so much that it's like everybody's story where, um, there's a reason there's this place called Samoa's. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, Brock, but it's over in Costa Rica. It's a coastian Navy bar called Samoa's and it's blacklisted because on one particular occasion, a guy was flirting with the wrong guy's girl and he apparently was cartel linked. And so the guy came back and shot him in the dick and he ended up losing one of his balls. Oh wow! So oh, you no. just have situations wow. like this. They happen. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. Have, so basically, they it's, this is uh, this, so yeah. But this is the reason why that place is blacklisted now is because of my shit. <laughs> you got to respect cousin, the culture. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to respect. Don't, fuck up. don't fucking create an international incident. We had okay. We literally had a. Uh, this was our last port. One of my favorite ports is Hong Kong. One of our mm. last visits to Hong Kong. It was right before I was going to get out. Right before I was separating. I knew it. Um, the the freaking <laughs> the small boy, the destroyer that went in before us to resupply. One of the guys had an international incident. Ended up getting arrested. He got. He actually ended up like beating the shit out of a taxi driver. Um, international incident. And at that time, uh, the 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 British Empire had, had given. Uh, basically formal control back to China of Hong Kong mm. and Hong Kong is, and this is why Hong Kong is always, you know, up in arms and why there's all these political things going on there yes. is because Hong Kong considers itself a sovereign nation. I believe it is too. It should always be. It's a, one of the most spectacular places I've ever seen in my life. Um, however, China still holds on to it as it's, it is it is as it's mm. theirs. Right. And so this is what happened. The uh, international incident, and so we sat out in international waters before going through the straits and going to Hong Kong Island. And we just sat there for like a day. No flight ops, no nothing. The next day, nothing. And by afternoon that day, the captain comes, comes over the one MC and he's like, uh, everybody, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to everybody. I have some uh, unfortunate news. Uh, we are not China has the Republic of China has denied our entry into the port of Hong Kong. We will not be making a, a, a port visit in Hong Kong. Okay, so this was Thanksgiving, right? And all of the families from Japan, all the families that have been, you know, were going to meet their significant others, their the officers' wives and the kids, all this shit. It was a big to-do. They were all already in Hong Kong. So they're there waiting for us, waiting for thousands, you know, 6,000 people. And they're stuck there. And we ended up having to drive right by it because of one person. And it really, it really like made a bitter, left a bitter taste in my mouth about political relations because it really messed it up for everybody else. Like, true. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't um, recognize how small happen. things like that no. become a big thing. Like, I remember yeah. um, 
there's been plenty of incidents where people were just maybe they were drinking too much in port and then they cause issues for everybody else. And well, that's that's you don't recognize it until you have a situation like that where you're like, oh yeah, um, right. small action like this can't affect everybody else. Right, and it does, which makes mm-hmm. it you know the whole vicious cycle, you know the the bitterness and all that kind of stuff, kind of uh, and the, the the hard uh, balls to the wall drinking um, makes it really step up a notch because you're like, what do I have to live for? I gotta get it in now while I can. Cause I don't know the next time I'm going to hit a port. So tell me about, uh, you know, we, we touched on obviously, uh, Panama, but, uh, tell, tell us about, tell the listeners about some of the other countries, some of your favorite, like the standouts that really kind of hit home to you. And, um, we definitely got to talk about Peru. We definitely have to talk about Peru. I would love to go to Canada Peru. and Alaska. Oh, got to go to Canada as well. Yeah. We'll go to Canada God, as well. God, Canada, <laughs> something else. It's I mean, a beautiful place, man. The the culture, the mountaineering, the women, the food, the beer. Um, <laughs> but I but like in my my first experience in Canada was nothing what Canada was. It was the funniest thing. We were in Victoria, so it's very French, right? And I I'm walking up, and you know, me and a couple of my buddies were trying to find our hotel, trying to find a place to call a cab. And I remember I walk up to this old couple. Uh, they must have been 80s, maybe. She was 70s. He was late 80s. You could tell. And I soon I walk up to him, like, excuse me, sir, can you tell me where this is? And he immediately just grabs his wife's shoulder and pulls her really tight in and then just pushes right past me. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> so it was it was interesting, but that was a really cool um kind of an introduction to kind of how your presence is and how um how you kind of carry yourself. It may be a little bit too intense for people. So it really helped yeah. me out when I was traveling the world later on in my life, which is, it's fine. But, um, you know, Canada was amazing. And the people there are just truly courageous and respectful and just open, just incredibly how, open. How so, how so courageous? What, what about, what about them was, uh, did you notice about that? I just noticed how just willing they were to tell you straight, just how willing oh. they were to kind of be open to you and kind of, you know, share a beer with you, talk with you, get to know you. they, not like yeah. out here in California and in the Orange County, LA region. Yeah. People are very standoffish. People are very closed off. They're and they're very judgmental very and posh. Yeah. I don't like yeah, that. Very- you know, I've never been a fan of that kind of behavior. Um, and they weren't like that by any standards. Even in Vancouver, which is the LA of Canada, people are very yeah. honest and very open there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that's a funny thing is because you because of what a place represents you may try to like something like i try to like la i really do but i just don't you know what i mean it's not so me hard. i'm not i'm not cut yeah. from that cloth that's all it is you know and that's yeah. okay but i think yeah. going to a place like canada really made you see things in a different light and, and it's so much of this incredible european pub culture but still so forward thinking yeah it was a really interesting place way to put it Vancouver is a cool, cool yeah. place, man. I mean, I uh, my friend grew up in uh, Friday Harbor, over by uh, mm-hmm. you know the uh, in the uh, the San Juan Islands, um, and I remember going up there, and we actually we took a ferry over to Vancouver, and uh, it was just a just an amazing. Uh, so I. I to give you a little backstory, I actually grew up in Carmel. Do you know uh, up north, like, uh, you know, Carmel, Monterey area, the uh, yeah. Monterey Bay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, I've grown up in, like, a beautiful 
environment when it comes to uh, natural environment. Um, right. But I remember just being like kind of blown away with how amazing everything around me was there too. Just like how amazing the water was and everything having to do with, you know, the ocean in general. Um, but it, it's, it, it's so cool to be able to experience these things and vi visit other places in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. But I want to talk, uh, I want to, you know, we've talked about like your travelings around the world and I've touched a little bit about Gulf of Mexico, but I wanted to, uh, because we, we, in our, in our pre-interview, we, we talked about um, specifically the way that uh, civilians like myself and others would view what you do uh, in regards to intercepting drug cartels and things like that and moving in. And, and we right. have thing that we have kind of a different, we probably have a different perspective, uh, namely about who we think are going to be on these ships when you're, when you're, when you're mm -hmm. taking care of, them. could you talk a little bit about that and like what your, what your actual experiences were like seizing, uh, or, you know, running in with these big name cartels and things like that? They're just kids. That's what people think. Um, the big cartel guy, he isn't on a boat in the middle of the ocean. You know what I mean? Uh, typically what they do is, and this is the stories that we get told by these people. Most of the time it's true. It may very well be something that they're told to say, but, um, the, you know, the records show that it's not, um, typically what it is, is that a person's family will be abducted and they, and then the son or the father will be told that you have to take this shipment with this tank of gas and this little tiny GPS. There'll be a, a, a latitude and longitude, um, set up in the middle of the ocean and you have to get there. And when you get there, you'll get another, uh, another pinpoint on your GPS and they'll give you a ticket gas and you'll go from there to there. Um, so they're just kids, you know, they're, they're typically in their late teens, early twenties. They don't know anything, you know, they don't even have a pistol on them typically, you know, cause they're not there to fight back. So what we'll do is we'll take their ship, blow their ship up, take their drugs, uh, their drugs and then imprison them on board their ship and and then we'll take them back and we'll send them back to the uh, the government but i mean it's very common knowledge that a lot of these governments are run by these cartels or the drug lords and all that so we kind of know what's going to happen we can't do anything about it though we you know we send these people back you know to the governments to the countries that they're going from and they're going to be killed probably and their whole family is going to be as well probably so it's something that is a situation but there's really nothing that I could see that we could really do because it is such a, a big issue and it, there is so many different layers to it that I don't even fully understand, but it is questionable about why are we going about things in this kind of a manner, you know, knowing the things we know. Yeah. But I, did I you ever, yeah. did you ever have like face to face encounters with these people or was it, I mean, cause you're going onto the ship and stuff or were you primarily like, doing this from a distance how did how did that end up working um, well out? i was one of the guys that'd be blowing up the ships that was really fun um like i would be on a 25 millimeter and we would load the the ships up with gasoline and then we just light it the fuck up and but no i'd be um i'd be typically bringing them food and all that and you would have an me um you know maritime enforcement um typically a second class typically uh standing guard and they would do they would do shifts. That wasn't for a, an FS to do. Excuse me, an FS to do. 
So mm-hmm. that was just, just wasn't what we were, what we would be up to, but I would see the kids, you know, and everybody's up when you're on a, when we're on a, a mission, you know, we're hunting down drug runners, everybody's up, you know, they're all standing on the sidelines. The spotlights are up, the heli- helicopters up in the air, the small boats are roaring, we're roaring after them. I mean, there's no chance in how these people are getting away. It's just not possible, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, you see them and they're all chained to the ground and all that, but you feel bad, but you understand that there's nothing you can do whatsoever in this situation. You can't help them at all, you know, because the yeah. situation is so multi-layered, like about what's really going on. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you take the flip I mean, side of that, the, 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 uh, <laughs> the post side of that, where after you seize tons of cocaine or these drugs that are being smuggled or trying to be smuggled into the United States or Mexico or wherever, uh, what happens with it? Right. And that's the why, long beach in me right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the, right. Uh, that's I'm the from, kid that I was, was born in Long Beach. I was born in Long Beach too. And it's like, and that kind of thing goes through your mind and it's not like conspiracy theory type shit, but like when you're there, when you're there, you just have to ask those questions. You're like, what's well, happening on the back end of this? You know what I mean? I would ask my supply officer that, which was a big no, no. And I would ask him like, Hey, mathematically, this doesn't make sense. You know? Like you're spending like $3 million on gas and at right. the same time, yeah. you're only catching maybe 200,000, maybe 500,000 or right. are these numbers not correct? And really, is it worth more? And also where does this drugs go? Like you're telling me they just sit in some you know locker or you burn them. We're the biggest yeah, importer you, and exporter of drugs them? in the world. They don't right. sink them. No, they right. take them back to the U S and I'm like, exactly. I don't exactly. buy that buddy. Cause I know of other bases yeah. that have been bought and sold. Um, right. you know, throughout time, it's not, it's never put out in the news because obviously they don't want, you know, the Coast Guard looking bad, obviously, you know, sure, but, of course. you know, no yeah. different than the, uh, than, there's plenty of the times where like, um, I ha- I don't want to, you know, go into details, but who, who, all that bull. Um, yeah. but there has been uh, situations where military members have, um, you know, assaulted people, you know, sexually mm-hmm. in Japan. And because of that, you know, the entire base was held on hold and they were no longer allowed to leave the military base. And there's, that's one of the reasons why the people of Japan hate us so much because we have military bases in their actual areas. We have a foothold there, you know, yeah. it's because of the war as it would be no different yeah. than with what we have the bases in Germany. So, yeah, um, absolutely. but it's those kind of situations where you kind of understand the bigger picture of it. Like, oh, okay, this is what's really going on. So you see yeah. what's going on with the with the drugs the same way, and you ask these kind of questions, and you recognize very quickly that as an E four, you're not um, those kind of questions are above your pay grade, and you shouldn't be asking them. Hundred percent. I noticed very we're, quickly we're, that my higher ups were they would kind of like jump on me when I would ask things like that. Like they kind of like yeah. they gave me a weird glance, but I'm like, this is just this is just things you know, like. You yeah. know, like I, you know, I was around that kind of a lifestyle. I had a lot of friends that were drug dealers and that were gangbangers. And so it was a very normal thing just to kind of recognize how they did things. And so it was no different than me to them. Like, okay, you're spending this much money, but you're only getting this kind of an outcome. Like there's some bullshit going yeah. on right now. Supply and demand, man. And then the yeah. political, the political sort of, um, uh, flaunting side of it not a flaunt but it's a it's a show right and there yes so this is what i th- while you're talking about it this is what this is what came to mind maritime forces like the coast guard and the navy yeah. these maritime forces are what keeps 
the evil at bay, whether it's through political means or mm-hmm. whether it's through like when I when we were on a a a, 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 um, a summer cruise, a summer deployment. It was a we're going to do this exercise and this exercise, and it's all practicing for the worst. It's all, yeah. but but what it really like, did you was, ever do? A, did it, you ever do a Fleet Week? No, we didn't. We didn't do Fleet Week because that was um, uh, that's primarily for uh, stateside based um, mm. uh, uh, fleets, yeah. basically. So like the Fifth Fleet, this uh, I believe the Fourth, but the Seventh Fleet. Most of our job as the tip of the spear, right? What they called us, the nine one one battle group, was to be a show of. It's a show of force. Mm-hmm. It's so you cruise by China, <clears throat> you cruise by Russia, which we had Russian subs surface behind us, Chinese subs, you name it. Um, but it's to show the rest of the world, our enemies, North Korea was most important at that time. That look, th- this is capable to, you know bring down hell upon you if you if you provoke it as such you know we have our allies we have japanese you know whatever but it is a show of force and that's why we would spend millions upon millions of dollars on very good on jp5 on jp5 on fuel on diesel fuel i was on the last diesel powered aircraft carrier in the united states navy and that's literally what it was it was a show of force around the world to say like Look, we have this force, we have this power, and we're ready to use it when needed. And it seems like when you're we're talking about the Coast Guard, it came right up. The Coast Guard is it's like why are are you know the the, the purpose, the overall objective mm-hmm. is to um and maybe you could answer this better than I could, but at least from what you're saying, is to intercept and to guard our coasts from threats. Meaning, yeah. you know, drugs. And by being out be. there, at least it deters. Yeah. It's it's no different exactly. than when you know you got a cop driving around in a bad neighborhood. Just by driving around, or even just a cop driving behind you, you know, right. speeding ten right. miles and over, you see a yes. cop, you immediately get into line. You immediately yep. stop talking on yep. your phone. It's a show yep. of force. It's the same thing. I didn't think about it like that. It's a very interesting idea. Um, That's right. Because the, the Fleet Week is all about building pride. You know what I mean? Fleet yeah. Week is yeah. you're showing building from relations. San Diego. All the way up, right. and then you go from San Diego all the way down the coast with other military yeah. branches. It's to show pride, it's to show force, you know, yeah. that yeah. your nation has your best interest. And it's to build recruiting, it's to show those oh, freaking kids yeah. who are 17, 16 years old, like this is what you can do this too. This is something, this is why we have one of the largest volunteer forces, you know, um, well, one of the most capable, I would say, still, um, even though we're, we're hurting a little bit, but. And, and that's what's different from the Marines. And we get a lot to because we talk to a lot of Marines, a lot of a lot of soldiers, um, some airmen, but their objective is different, right? They're literally like the bulldog, the freaking pit bull on the end of the freaking rope, on the end of the chain. Like we need something done, we need something attacked. Go go get them right now. You send the Marines in. You know what I mean? Send them in, freaking hit it hard. Because we know the job is gonna get done. The Navy and the Coast Guard are like its own freaking superstructure, its own. And this is me, you know, getting off. But anyway, that's just my two cents on it. And it's fascinating because you brought it up. But um, yeah, keep going about about Vancouver. And Matt, I know you had a question. Sorry. I mean, it, it's it, it's more about like, you know, the way because uh, I, I, we talked about, um, you know, this this uh, 
this show of force and uh like even even when it comes to these ideas of the drug like you know stopping drug cartels it's like you're you're asking the question like where is this going what's the purpose of it like we could even say like you know maybe it's to try to deter them but like what where like there's so many complex what you're saying is that it's totally true there's so many complex layers to each and every one of these things um and it's it's weird for a a civilian to think about it because in our like in our world it's such a clear cut kind of like black and white issue uh it's like okay there's people out there trying to get drugs across the border and they're going to send it through uh, with a mule and they're going to you know they're going to have a these kids send it and you know we need to make sure that they 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 stop sending it and that's that's the kind of the end of the story but you don't really mm. think about from from the civilian aspect you don't think about all these other things going on what are you going to do with the drugs well, what are they like it's kind of like one of those things once your eyes are opened up about it you realize things are never uh cut in black and white ever like for mm. instance even just the war on drugs isn't a cut in black kind of thing the war on drugs when presidents talk about it when governors talk about that sort of thing it creates jobs it gets money put into the into places because everyone's been affected by drugs in a negative way so when you start talking about oh the war on drugs we're gonna go take care of it you know it gets people all riled up and they start opening their pocketbooks and they start giving money to governments and they want things yeah. to get done it employs cops it employs everything it employs the coast guard it, you know it's one of those things that is so mitigated and created based off of money i mean not even you want to talk about you know showing force showing force carries money with it because as long as we show yeah. force we show strength and we put all our money into exactly. showing those things, we're never going to have to worry about another war, like a real war, like a world mm-hmm. war. It's never going to happen yeah. because we have these contingencies in place, these redundancies to keep that from ever going that far because we're always, you know, yeah. pulling a Teddy Roosevelt and carrying a big ass bat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're putting that and we're buying, we're just making sure that that bat, whatever we're buying is pretty much the the best money the that the dollar can, yeah. or the best thing yeah. that the dollar can buy, which is such a it's such a, a crazy it, it, it's like it's like you're looking at one thing and all of a sudden it's just an explosion of like oh i under i get it kind of now um yeah these are the but, things you yeah, and then the ship. same thing you still don't get you we still don't we're still so much more in the dark like th- this this 100%. conversation i thought would like open kind of like a lot of you know the or like uh, uh, like or clarify things for me but if anything it's just giving me it's more questions and more like yeah yeah it's really making yeah. me think like what else is there <laughs> yeah you know, what else are yeah. we go- what else are we doing um so i i i i thank you for giving me this perspective because i think i'm probably going to be sitting in bed tonight going like God, I wonder what, oh, like, shit. you know, it's like, the, but it's not conspiracy <laughs> theory bullshit. This is just, these are just facts. Yeah. These are just things that have yeah. happened and I'm yeah. looking at them in a certain way. That is all this is. Yeah. This isn't like, right. oh, you know, was 9-11 an inside job or kind of thing like that. Yeah, This is yeah, just yeah, yeah. looking at like, hey, this is what's happening. Where does the money come from? Why are these things taking place like that? What is the reasons behind these situations? It's all, it's all yeah. you gotta look at that. Right. Look at that's the facts. Right. Don't, but, get, don't but get that's also... I mean, that's honestly why I like, you know, we often talk about um, America in a, in a, a certain light. Uh, this is something that I've been thinking about over the, the course of this podcast, which is uh, there's you should a, a pay like a patriotism or a, a person who wants to say that they, you know, they love their country should not blindly like 
should not blindly listen and be obedient. It's not obedience as much yeah, as it right. is questioning and you yeah. know making sure your your country is accountable. On the so, political side, maybe, but I love my country not because of those reasons at all. I love my country because, you know, the Grand Tetons. I love the Rockies. I love the oceans in Southern California. I love the food. I love the culture. I love, you know, San Francisco and all the history in New York City. I love all these different things about it. I love the open countrysides and the highways and all Mm -hmm. the stories you can tell, the walkabouts you can go on. Real America. I don't like that bullshit, you know, like foofy crap over here in LA or whatever, or like the <laughs> over the top work ethic of New York. That's not what I'm about. I want yeah. like the real America that literally is all over here. Just people yeah. don't even recognize it's here because it's this thing that you yeah. just kind of drive through and past on the way to your next city, your next destination. Yeah. They don't live, yeah. you know? And I, I guess that's America. one of the main was- reasons. Oh, sorry, Matt, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, to kind of clarify what I was saying, it's like, you know, we often talk about, like, protecting freedom. And I think for me, it is the freedom to ask questions uh, or the freedom Mm. to – because let's say we were doing this podcast in China or Russia – I I I would probably be killed. <laughs> like, let's be true, like, dude. Let's Regan and I here. would both be like <laughs> dragged out of here as former members of the military. Yeah. We'd both be fucking dragged out of here. You know what I mean? Like, it's it just it's fly, know, but we man. have the ability to add, to to talk about this, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. But yes, I a hundred percent agree that. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in one of the most beautiful places on the fucking planet, and that's you know that, and it, the only reason is like I'm in you know I'm in like I'm the coast of California and I get to, I can walk to the beach if I really want to. That's a, that is an amazing, amazing uh, opportunity. That's just right there. Um, Mm -hmm. Or just the amount of pure nature that's around us, especially in like California. But I was watching, I watched Minari the other night. Yeah. Oh yes. I, (laughs) so I was going to say, I watched Minari the other night and it shows Arkansas and I didn't Minari. know Arkansas is well. It, it's like a weird port portion of Arkansas that shows just like a really beautiful nature environment. And I was like, "This is wild!" But this guy buys like a shit ton of land for basically no money. And I was like yeah. thinking, I was like, "What the hell are we doing? Like, it's so backwards." I don't know. Yeah. It's sorry, yeah. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. No, you're no. not. It makes it's 100 <laughs> what the situation is like. You yeah, like. Like for what you're paying right now to live wherever you guys are living, you could have a five bedroom house in Texas for with two acres of land. You could go live on that in Arkansas. You can go do that in Wyoming. It is literally just these major cities that are making you literally give up your entire life because it's what society says you have to do. You don't have to do these things. You don't have to have some crazy big time job in a city. You can literally go work on a farm. You can do remote work. You can go be, you know, do anything else. You don't have to be here. You know, right. There's so many people that have a film career in Utah and Michigan and new Orleans. Anthony Mackie lives in new Orleans and he has a film career out there and he has a house. He has, and also not just that he has his own, like he has his own um, construction company. He builds houses for a living. You don't, to make it, you don't have to sell your damn soul is what I'm saying. You yeah. can still have a life. Right. You can be happy. Uh, you know, and you should. And, and, and that's what's encouraging about where where the film industry and the industry as a whole is kind of heading is you have Vancouver is a huge hub for filming, for, vi- mm-hmm. for video games, for, for motion, uh, motion capture, the mocap studios. 
Atlanta is becoming the freaking Hollywood of the South. Atlanta, New Orleans, um, they're popping up everywhere. Anywhere there are tax incentives in which to shoot. Yeah. Um, you know, we've always fought for that in my home state of Colorado, in Denver. It'd be awesome, but they just won't do it for some freaking yeah, reason. Man. It's ridiculous. Me and the missus, we're thinking about going to Atlanta. It's it's a really? big, I mean, it's it's uh-huh. where it's popping right now, man. It really is. Yeah, there's this a is, lot this of, is the, I mean, there's a lot of life. <laughs> oh, it's huge. But this is what I was trying to drop back to is when you talked about that and like the wide open spaces, and this is the America, this is what you took pride in. This is what you, this is what we quote served for, you know, or, yeah. or, or fought for, you know, a lot of times um, it's, it's, it's the memory of these places and it brings it back full circle. When you talk to these other veterans, when we've, uh, we've, we've talked to these veterans that, have come from such depths and have beat have overcome suicide, have overcome drug addiction and alcohol abuse and the, the bottom of the freaking pit. And the only thing that brought them out of that was nature therapy was artistic therapy of some oh, sort God, yeah. that brought them out of the depths was like being back out in nature away from the fucking hustle and bustle of the cities away from, and don't get me wrong. We need people. Like this last year has taught us if if it's taught us anything, it's the fact that we need to be around each other. I was oh, watching God, the Dodgers yeah, game today. I was watching the Dodgers game today, man, and I was like, God, I miss being a, a, in a stadium because I'm a huge fan. I was like, I miss being. It's so much fun. But it's like as artists, like I uh, I, I talked to a buddy of mine, um, a Zach, who's part of this company actually, um, and we're going to be doing a scene for his class out in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's doing a directing scene and I was like, please, bro, I'm in, I'm all in because I so desperately, like my soul needs to like be enveloped into a character, be involved in a character and, and develop it and, and change with it and whatever it is and just play with it. Like those things are necessary to bring us, um, out of our funk, but to give us that little sense of purpose. And that's, I think what the big picture tells us is like, Beyond everything else that's going on, we see when we were in the military, we see certain things that are at work that are undeniable. They're completely undeniable. And you can't stop it. You're not going to control it. But what you can do is just try to help each other out in certain ways of how to how to deal with the the effects afterwards, you know, how to deal with um, uh, maybe the loss or the the loss of of, of, of purpose or sense of self, whatever it may be. Um, so I think that's what I want to try to get to right now is no, I when you got yeah. out, when you got out, what was it that, um, that spoke to you? Did you know, like you were going to do your years, you were going to do your billet and, and just get out. Um, there were a lot of things, man. Um, I was very suicidal from all four years of my life. Um, when I was in the military, like I was uh, sitting on the fan gel every day, wanting to throw myself off, kind of suicidal, like on a daily basis. Right. It was pretty dark for me. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, the writing saved me all of that. But I became obsessed about all these great writers, you know, Hemingway and uh, yeah. Bukowski and Jack Kerouac. And as I'm reading these things and as I'm writing these stories, I started developing this idea, you know, I'm going to write my own novel. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save every penny I have. And I'm going to start my own um, website and like, you know, be basically and have my website, you know, for a travel blog and all that. 
and I'm going to go and I'm going to stay gone for the next five years. And I'm going to write a novel and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to do this. And I, I, I would show people my work and people were really digging it. Like I would read it out loud to people and all that. People were really like insane. They were like, they were like talking to me about it. Like um, they were like, my buddy Tyler would like tell me like, you know, it sounds like Hunter S. Thompson kind of shit, like really like, like nuts. And um, so I was really just, I just fell in love with it. And so when I got out, um, I had a lot of shit I had to work at. And a lot of and strange thing is, is um, I recognized, you know, you become more of an adult. And now that I'm a, like, actually, I fully feel like I'm actually a man now, as opposed to when you're coming out of the military, you got so much shit. And I feel like I didn't deal with any of the things of my childhood. And so when I was in the military, I was also unable to deal with it because you have so much going on. You don't have time to process, you know, yeah. uh, emotionally. So when I got out, it was, I was running wild from everything I had been going through, all the suicidal ideations, the depression, the alcoholism, everything. And I went on a month and a half motorcycle trip all around the entire country. Um, Cause I had this idea that I was going to go to Boulder. Um, maybe when I came back, you know, I was looking at this college. I was thinking maybe when I come back, I'll, I'll check that out, you know? And well, see you um, Boulder, see you Boulder. Yeah. 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 No, Boulder, uh, no, Naropa University, the hippie college. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But they had no clue what the hell oh, they were doing. So I told, I basically got just it, said, fuck it. this, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so I, I come home and I'm, you know, and then I come home from the motorcycle trip and I spend like two months there and it was this really weird experience where like, I was very happy, but completely alienated from all my friends and family. And so when I finally left, I kind of had the intention of never coming home. And, uh, wow. so I went everywhere from. And I, that was the intention. It was to, it was, my intention was to take the money I have and basically invest it into myself, find a way to have a functioning website that will make me enough money to keep, stay on the road basically for the rest of my life. And so I worked on a peat farm in Ireland and um, I ran wild all over there. And then I worked um, on a family's home. I basically did like construction and like painted and all of that um, in Northern Scotland. And then I worked at a uh, surf hostel in South England. And then I um, ran around France. Um, and then I worked on a vineyard in Italy. Then I ran around the Netherlands. And then I worked at a surf hostel in Spain. I ran with the bulls at the Camino Santiago. And, and I just went nuts for like two years. And mm. uh, unfortunately, half my money got stolen. But um, that doesn't oh, matter. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. But, um, you know, and then basically at the end of like two years, um, I just was went running ragged and I was broke. Yeah. And but now there's a lot of story between there, obviously, but that's what I did. And mm -hmm. it took me like two years to recognize finally that, wow, I miss my family. I miss my friends. You know, I miss, and I, I knew it for a while, but it was like, I, I, I just, I had to, I had to go for it. I had to do everything in my power to, have a better life to not go back to what I used to be when I was a kid. So that yeah, was me you making getting it away. So you're getting away from something essentially. Oh, right? I was it running. Was suicidal, was the suicidal running. ideation. Right, right. Okay. I was running and I was going through a lot of things. Um, and so the book that I wrote wasn't just this thing about, you know, writing a book. It was pulling a Hemingway, you know, it was like where Hemingway wrote the, his first book, I believe it was called fountain of youth. Um, and he ended up giving up on it, but basically it's the novel that eventually became farewell to arms, but he had to rewrite it four different times. Yeah. And 
so this book was about me almost being a father and and um, almost committing suicide. But unfortunately, I ended up actually losing two of my very close friends while I was in the military. Um, and so I wrote a story about basically recreating my own sense in a fictional sense where it's not me that's might um, possibly lose it. It's actually I write about where it's the best friend who's about to go on this buddy journey and he actually ends up um, his friend commits suicide. And I'm not going to give away what the reason is, but he goes on this ginormous journey to uh, basically the journey that would have been with his best friend, but it's basically a kind of a ginormous way of saying goodbye, doing all these different things that they would have done together. And there's a lot of philosophy and a lot of different things. So I wrote everything that I had gone through, all the different places that I had gone through, because I wrote the whole book while I was on the road, but I had to recreate it in an entirely uh, fictional sense so it actually would make sense, which took a lot and a lot of reading and a lot of uh, recollection and a lot of workshopping it because to write a story like that, because normal stories, real life, it doesn't happen like a novel. You have to recreate it in such a a detailed sense to where, Mm -hmm. um, thematically speaking, it works. So that's what I did when I got out. I did all these things. So I wanted to, uh, there's one question I want, I kind of let you run there because I wanted to ask one thing, but I was like, oh no, he's good. Uh, You said you worked on a peat farm in Ireland. Was that, did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. I worked on a peat farm. So is that, was was that being used for like, was that peat being used for like scotch or anything or like whiskey? No, 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 no. Not every, okay. um, It's that's typically what they use it for as well. Um, but it's wood. It's mm-hmm. just it's their version of wood. It's a it's a consistently reconstituting um, marshland that you cut peat out of. Right. You pull it out. You cut it. Let it dry. Uh, but no, it was a it was a hostel I worked at um, in Letterfrack in the southwest, and I met this man, um, really great man, like really really knowledgeable, very very uh, well read. And he was a 20-year man uh, during the IRA days of uh, Belfast, so during the Troubles. He was a police officer. And so me and him were able to kind of swap stories and talk about the things I had been through and talk about things he had been through. And in a weird way, it was kind of like, um, like, I mean, who does that? Like, gets out of the military and then a month and a half later goes to work immediately. You know what I mean? That's weird. <laughs> Not A lot of people kind of, you know, dick around for a while, but... No, you're working immediately at the gate and you're, you're not even just, you're not just working, but you're working in such remote locations that this is, this is like, you know, I, like, I have to say it almost sounds kind of like a dream. Like this, this is something that I would want to do with myself. You know, if I had, if I had a couple, like if I had money to kill and, and, and time to to work on your back, brother, that's it. Right. Yeah. I, (laughs) it sounds like it sounds like a fantasy. I'm not going to lie. Like being able to go to Ireland and, and you said you were in a, in a vineyard in France. Like these, Italy. these are Italy. It'll okay. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Still like there's this you know, fucking gnome of a man. I fucking hate this piece of shit. He would like serve me <laughs> like four day old food. Oh, this is a funny story guys. You'll like this. Yeah, one. please tell me this. All right. All right. All right. So there's this guy, um, I'm not going to give his name cause I don't want to ruin his business, but he's a piece of garbage. Um, pseudo name, pseudo name. We'll call him. Uh, just call him the gnome. Um, okay. <laughs> so he would like. There was the. It was a hostel. No, it wasn't. A, it was a. It was a villa, and he wanted people to help him out. And I heard read a bunch of bad reviews. Like it's like slave labor, and sure as shit, it was. He would like serve you like four day old like meat that had been like sitting in, in like you know um you know on a burner in his oven. 
or he'd like serve you just like a small bowl of soup at the end of the day. He'd have you working like 12 hour days every day, like no time off, like five days a week. And it was like, it was nutty. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't what I was expecting. And I remember one day I was like, you know, I've had enough of this, but I, I just, but basically I ended up screwing up in Naples and I ended up dropping and losing all the money that I was supposed to use in Naples for like a week and a half. So I had to go to the, do this job quicker than I imagined. And so one day I'm, I'm hanging out with him and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get you today. Son of a bitch. You know, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get him. And I had been probably traveling for, I'd say a year. And when you're traveling Europe, you drink a lot, especially being a traveler, you drink a lot. But me being a sailor turned traveler, I could destroy people. And, um, so one night we're hanging out and, you know, and I start getting him drunk. And my idea is I'm going to get him so drunk that he passes out and throws up all over his freaking um, kitchen counter. I'm going to get him destroyed. And, and we're just having, we're having this really nice arrabbiata. I don't know. I think he like felt bad about how much of a piece of shit he'd been. I mean, he made me this really nice arrabbiata with some really good pepper della um, pasta. And we had this really, really good high end Sangiovese, which is uh, basically like the, the really premier wine in that region. Mm-hmm. It's essential uh, Eastern uh, yep. Italy. Oh, I so, know. Thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> we're just, we're just having all his high end stuff. And we're just going back and forth, back and forth. We're having carafe to carafe the entire time. And we I don't even understand how much we drank, but it was an insane amount, like a ridiculous, like beyond reckoning amount. And he falls asleep in a lawn chair that he's set up in his, you know, the kitchen. And he's just sitting there, passed out with a carafe in his hand. So I go into the locker and I start taking all his top shelf stuff. And I'm just pouring carafe after carafe after carafe of it. And it was amazing it was like the best wine i've ever had in my life but i'm just like i'm knocking basically an entire like maybe five bottles to myself back and i'm getting very steaming drunk and he wakes up three hours later and i think there's no way he's gonna be able to look to work and he looks at me he's like all right we go back to work and i'm like you fucker oh i was so heated i was so heated and so drunk and but like not stumbling i was just mad you know and so we go out to the vineyard and there's a, a piece of cancer where we're basically a tree is growing off on another tree and you have to cut the limb off in order to keep the tree going. These are like old trees. They've been there forever. And so he pulls back the limb. He's like, all right, hands me the ax. He's like, all right, you cut here. And I look at him and I'm like, I fucking got you. And I fucking swung and I chopped the fucking tree in half. And he just looks at me and he's like, I think we're done for the day. And I'm like, yeah, I think we are. <laughs> and I, uh, I left him a note that night and I, uh, I left in the middle of the night. I didn't even say goodbye. And I just grabbed my shit packed up and I fucking took off on a bus that night. I was done. Wow. Yeah. He was I, hope that's, I hope that's in your book. I hope that's. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, this is, this is that's amazing. Brilliant. Oh man. Oh, um, yeah, I hate that guy. <laughs> it, so, <laughs> The other question, because I, I had a like a, a couple when because it was like going kind of like trying to follow along, but you're um this has to do a little bit about with, with what you want to do uh, in regards to writing in your book. Um, you yeah. said uh pr- prior that you wanted to something about a publishing company having to do with motorcycle tours. Uh, could you yeah. Yeah. could you Love talk to, a little man. bit about what you want to do with that and what what your goals are in terms of maybe. I know you, you used to have a no, tenure no, no, plan, but is no, this like... I would like, love to uh, talk about it, man. I'd love to talk cool. about that, actually. That'd be very cool. Um, 
So what I'm trying to do right now is a company, it's a publishing company called DD-2215, also a production company, but let's take on the publishing first. Um, I want to get other veterans involved that want to be a part of the arts, especially literature, whether it's poems, short stories, novel, nonfiction, journalism, I don't care. Um, if you're interested in getting your stuff published, I want guys together that are all just willing to work on their own because in this day and age, traditional publishing is kind of a, a shot in the dark. You're waiting around for someone to think you're good enough. And I don't want to do that. I want kind of pull a Henry Rollins, you know, and just get a bunch of veterans that are all willing to work and hustle their asses off together, get them to have their own books. You know, we'll, we'll edit our own stuff. We'll find people to work with us. And what I want to do is I want to find a team of like a good five to 10 guys. And I want to do whether it's a motorcycle trip or whether it's just but I want to do a ginormous caravan and I want to go across the entire country and I want to stop into every Harley uh, dealer, uh, Davidson dealership, every Triumph, every BMW dealership. And I want to do basically motorcycle uh, festivals or meetups where the books will be a kind of a, a beacon to get every, all these different veterans, all these different writers together to bring kind of support and a reckoning to suicidal awareness, alcoholism and drug abuse in the veteran and military community. You know, so, mm. and I want, I um, I want a proportion of everything that we sell at all these different things. So it'll be a spoken word show. Like it'll be veterans coming up, telling stories about the things they went through. It'll be me bringing up my novel or short stories and reading them aloud to people. And it'll be a way to bring kind of a, a community of people. And I want to do it across the entire damn country. And that's what I'm trying to create right now. And I, it's, it's, it's tough to find good vets that know what they're doing that are serious because, you know, a lot of people are yeah. just talkers. But yeah. I want to find yeah. the doers, the people that are actually really serious about it. And that's what I'm trying to create right now. Right now, it's just me hustling my ass off and finding out all the ins and the outs to how to create the LLCs and, and, yeah. how, to, you know, and how to get the whole printing press operating and all that. But that's what I really want to do, man, is because I don't want veterans to go through what I went through. And I don't want kids to go through, you know, the kind of the feelings of alone when you get out. I want people to have a community, you know, no different than what yeah. Matt Best and all his guys are doing or the veteran TV is doing. I want to bring awareness to the thing. So, cause we're not alone. And, and I think we deserve yeah. a hell of a lot better than what we get in this day and age. You know, you get out of the military, you don't get shit. You know, people are, yeah. veterans are dying in the VA, you know, and I think we deserve yeah. a lot better. So whether that's jobs in publishing or whether that's jobs in the entertainment business, I want to create basically a giant community all around in every country where we're trying to bring this all together, you know, because yeah. it's like, you know, understand You understand this Brock where let's say a veteran comes up to you and says, Hey, I, I need some help with this. or I'm interested in getting into this. Will you give me a hand and just talk me through how I get started? What do I do? And that's what I'm about. I just want to give veterans what they, what I think yeah. they fucking are due. Yeah. You know, you know, so what about when you talking about this? I love that man. And, and the motorcycle, the motorcycle like rally you're talking about the sort of like the 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 trip or the um what did you say exactly what it was um the uh the um, caravan yeah the caravan thank you so i just like when you said that i just like i was like what a better stop or or or, or place on the map to stop than the freaking va right like you could literally go from va to va as you're traveling along this route holding these rallies or wherever and have them in, you know, yeah. um, in parks or whatever, but then have the actual, like the core of it at the fucking steps of the VA and freaking in the, whatever facility they have. And so many of the veterans that we talk to, 
from uh, we're very lucky. We are very lucky in California yeah. uh, to have a VA facility like we do in Long Beach. The one that a lot of people knock it. It's you oh, know, the one it, in but... LA. The one in LA. The one in LA is is not good. Yeah. Um, I've I've seen some really sad things there, and it's just it's got awful. Um, but the one in Long Beach, compared to what other people talk about in the rest of the country, is head and shoulders. We're we're doing good. Um, it's still very sad, and they're still not doing good enough to the service or to the level of service they need to provide to some of these older veterans, like the Vietnam veterans who are just struggling. Um, but they are doing a good job, and the VA with the vaccine has been ahead of the curve, right? But I'll give it that. What I'll a better what a better place to do this to bring awareness than the freaking place that treats the veterans with the issues that, you know, the intake right there where people have to come in and, and, and get the help that they need, you know, as the last resort, when you talked about, um, the suicide ideation, um, I just remembered like, it's crazy, man. I, I remember being on the ship and like having, it was a weekly occurrence, weekly occurrence, Mm -hmm. our rescue swimmers, our surface rescue swimmers and our, um, our, uh, our, air crew rescue swimmers were deployed probably 90% of the time, 98% of the time uh, for suicides. Yeah. So it happened at least once a week. We had somebody jumping off the flight deck or off the fan tail. Um, that was one of the things that actually uh, a guy that was close to my girlfriend at the time, my ex-girlfriend who I dated in the military, um, she was a, he was a friend of hers and, uh, you know, he came out to his, he came out to the wrong person, essentially in 80 man birthing. And, uh, he came out as gay and, and got so much shit for it that he ended up going up on the flight deck without his float coat. And it was the middle of winter in the middle of the sea, Japan. And he fucking went to his, he, he woke up in the morning, uh, said goodbye with a, a blank, a blank slate on his face, went up to the uh, fantail and freaking jumped into the screws. And they never found his body. Um, uh, we looked. We looked for him for six, probably like I don't know, probably like three or four days. But they ended up having to call his parents and say, "Like your son is, we can't find his body." Um, so stuff like that, you know, it happens in the military. It happens while we're there, but it also happens so much so afterwards because, like you said, we don't have time to deal with no. emotional stress and all that stuff while we're in. And so we deal with a lot of it afterwards. We deal with the just the, the the barrage of emotions and doubt and everything else that creeps in. Um, so what a better place to do what you say? Because I think it's amazing. I think it's an incredible idea, and it's what this this platform is all about. Uh, this podcast is all about lifting that up, lifting up mm-hmm. the veteran voice, letting that story be told, so that whoever can hear it can understand that this is important and can make waves in changing the in the veteran community and not just the veteran community, but with Matt here, the civilian community can understand yeah. that. And that's why this is so, so important, you know, and, and Regan, um, we're, 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 we're kind of gearing towards the end. It kind of feels like a natural yeah. feel. Um, we're going to kind of like come up with our last few couple questions, but, um, yeah, man, it's just, uh, 
it's really been it's really been awesome to get to know your side of things as a you know just a brilliant person and and you know with the ideas that you have and and where you're headed and i um you know i can see nothing but great things you know coming up so thanks brother bravo man yeah it's just awesome but my last question i'll let matt go i'll let matt go after but um my last question is if you had um was there anybody or anything, any group or nonprofit, uh, was there anybody out there that gave you that helping line that lets you realize that um, you're not alone, right? That gave you that like life preserver that said, come on, man, like this is all good. I got you. Was there anything like that that you experienced? Um, oh, Christ, no. That, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> No, no. Um, the guy who saved my life is my best friend, Chris Brown, man. Yeah. Okay. He's a white dude from Virginia, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> no, I, I met that kid and he was like saving grace. You know, his friendship and his brotherhood is literally what got me through yeah. it. I remember yeah. he, uh, he fucked with me so bad. So he's leaving right before me. Um, he, went, he went from going to IT to go to Bosun's mate. Yeah. And uh, so he's saying his goodbye speech, you know, on top of the deck. And he's and he uh, he gives me a shout. Out. He's like, "Hey, Pettigrew, you know, I love you, man. Uh, hit me up when you get out. No, seriously, hit me up when you get out. And you know, when you're on the ship, yeah, a you lot say, of guys yeah. have bromances. You know what I mean? Like real bromances. Oh, for sure. like, so like, where you just hang, you like you have that best friend and you hang out with him all the time. And we, me and him, were like yeah. that. And a lot of people would talk shit and call us fags. And so <laughs> I would have that situation. So when he said that shit. I mean, the whole crew on a swivel turned to me and looked at me. And from then on, everyone was like, I fucking knew it. And so, <laughs> oh my God. So I got it so uh, bad, man. I got it so bad. But no, right. uh, I'll tell him to listen to this. He'll, he'll crack up because he loves telling it's that old story. old man's military. Yeah. Dude, dude, it was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, but no, his friendship got me through it, man. Absolutely. That's amazing. You know? that brotherhood got me through it because when we still talk all the time, like when I got out of college, I went off and uh, ended up going to visit him for like months on end. So nice. it's one of those things where, no, I didn't find it in the military and I didn't even recognize how much of a brotherhood uh, the military really was till I got out. And I recognized that all vets, all military just love each other because we all recognize how shitty of a job this is. Like, I don't even know why, yeah. what the fuck we're doing here, but yeah. We all have this immense respect. Even like I can talk to somebody who's a Marine or Special Forces or an Army Ranger and I, I, me being a cook and me and him both have the exact same respect for each other. There's no bullshit. You don't, don't yeah. get me wrong. He's going to yep. call me a piece of crap because I was a cook and I'm going to say that yeah, he's I'll a Yeah, I'll call you a poke. Idiot. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. but it, it doesn't matter. There's that respect, you know, and yep. I didn't recognize yep. that until afterwards, you know, which is a great mm -hmm. thing. That made me mm -hmm. feel like I wasn't alone. Um, but during the military, man, it's... You are so on your own. Yeah. Weirdly. And it's almost like that's just, that's almost like somebody else is creating that environment. It's not something that everyone's mean to do, but some, but it's for some reason it's happening, you yeah. know? Yeah. So my last question Shoot, uh, is a little, it's a little strange because so from Doing these podcasts, I've found that a lot of the time when talking to veterans that a lot of them are being proactive when it comes to preventing other, preventing like, you know, veteran suicide, lowering the 22, yeah. um, 
what you're doing, you know, they're, you're, you're writing, you're trying to create community within the veterans. Um, and I, I was thinking the other night about why, if, if there's so much, if, if this is like a common occurrence, maybe it's just the people that we're getting to talk on this show happen it's to not. be ones, <laughs> but if it's such a common occurrence, why is it not moving forward? And I, and my, yeah. my kind of, I think my, I came to a conclusion, which might be wrong, but might be partly there, which is mm. that the civilian aspect hasn't taken, it hasn't really gotten off the ground yet. Um, that, you know, the, the veterans can be doing work, but without the actual help from civilians to make it happen, or you're not going to, yeah. like, we're not going to, we're not going to really see progress. So I guess my question to you is what as a civilian could someone do to better the veteran community or, uh, or, help out veterans in a way that they aren't doing already or something that they could what, like basically like what's your message for civilians out there that are curious about what they could do in order to make the community a better place for veterans. Does that make sense? I don't sense? know, man. Um, I'm not <laughs> the messenger, you know, <laughs> um, it's a great question. Um, I think it's just that this, America's military, we are such part of that old school, um, you know, don't ask, don't tell, uh, you know, guard your feelings, crap, don't talk about it, um, except to your best buddy, you know, everyone's suicidal, yet nobody talks about it. I, I don't know. I don't think it's something that you guys can do because you guys don't really understand it, yeah. you know? Um, people watch movies like uh, Chris Kyle's uh, American Sniper and they see, oh, wait, what a great hero but they don't really pay attention to how fucked up the situation is for him emotionally, you know, no different so than crazy. they look at films like Jake Gyllenhaal with <laughs> brothers, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, I don't remember the character, the guy's name, uh, but he's Leonardo DiCaprio's like best friend. Apparently he played Spider-Man. Toby, uh, Keith, uh, Toby, Toby, yeah, Toby yeah. McGuire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Toby McGuire. He plays yeah. that character. He played it so fucking well because that's really what it is. It's, it's these veterans that are just coming home and, mm. I, I think Toby like, McGuire's a veteran. No, he played a veteran oh. in, he played a guy who came, he was a POW. Okay. And, I was he, um, and he came back, but it's like one of those things where I don't know if you guys are going to be able to help because the things that are getting pushed towards the civilian community are making these vets are making these, you know, war heroes, war heroes. Yes. But there's so much more of an issue that needs to get talked about. And I don't know if it's you guys, it's even your place to talk about it. I think it's something that we're going to have to do from within the military because you can throw all the politically correct crap you guys want at us. It isn't going to change who we are and what we have to deal with. You know, We're the ones that are doing these jobs. We're the ones that are taking lives or saving them or living these hard hours. It, it, you, you can't touch it because you don't get it. It's like, it's like trying to change you know, all the things that we got going on in, in, in any kind of a job. Say... Um, Say you were trying to talk to a surfer what it's like to go up against uh, the big, you know, 45-foot waves and try to understand their mindset. They, you can't get it because you don't understand it because you're not from it, you know? Right. So I don't, I don't know what to tell you, you know? This is something that we <laughs> got to figure out. That's fine. I. It's yeah. interesting that you bring this up, that you literally started with American Sniper because before you got into the call... Yeah, we just talked about yeah, we were talking literally about this yeah. because I, uh, from topic, my perspective, yeah. you know, I, I've been, I've kind of di- like dived into this community a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, than I had ever in the past. Um, and obviously I'm not, I, I could never say that like I fully understand any of the struggles or I fully understand any of, 
you know, of, of what goes on. But my perspective has changed so drastically from yeah. where I was when I was starting this or but even before like a year ago um before we started this podcast that i we, we started talking about i don't know if you're watching um cat like the 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 winter soldier and falcon thing um I we yet. started talking okay we talked about they portray the they portray uh it's a lot about a kind of like uh i don't want to say veteran experience but there's like a lot of things that are uh kind of um Allusions or alliterations to, or like, oh, sorry, allusions is the right one to uh, certain experiences, like with Bucky going through PTSD and things like that. Yeah. That I wouldn't have had it, wouldn't have had an impact on me before, but now do because of all these conversations that I've been having. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's, I, I, I understand it's like, you know, it's difficult for us to approach the conversation like or not approach the conversation it's difficult for us for the civilian life to get involved but i i feel like there there are definitely people out there that i feel like that's the answer yeah want to be a part of it you know and i I guess it really comes down to listening and making sure that we we hear you speak rather than just trying to take the space so yeah that's exactly that's exact you answered that completely because that is literally what i i feel and i feel a lot of veterans are the same way because everybody has i feel like everybody every civilian who hasn't you know signed on the dotted line and gone in whatever knows a veteran in their family or is you Mm -hmm. know one two degrees separated and vice versa Mm -hmm. right we all have family we all have families back here and and um no military experience whatever it may be so it's very hard for our parents to understand where we're coming from when we come back and we're different. We're changed. We go in as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid, and now we come out and we're jaded and I'm fucking cussing. And my mom's like, "What are you? why are you like this? I don't understand. I'm like, the fucking military like did it to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> the military did it to me, man. And 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 the thing is, like, it, that's the first point. What you just said, Matt, that's the first uh, step, literally, is noticing those little moments, with, even if it's within Hollywood and, and within – um, you know, the medium of, of streaming a show or whatever that you notice those things and that you talk about it and, and, uh, uh, uh listen when, um, when somebody does want to open up, you know, and that's, that's really a beautiful thing because when somebody is, I read some really fascinating thing about, um, it was really sad, but a guy that, uh, committed, um, a guy that had suicide ideation, and this is not military related. I don't, I don't know if it was or not, but no, he had good. a huge, he had a huge party. He had a huge party. Um, and it was basically a going away party. Uh, he had a huge party, invited a bunch of his friends over and um, he was basically wrapping things up because he had already decided in his head that he was going to go through with it and take his own life. Mm-hmm. So there were things, there were things that his friends saw and observed that, um, were like, well, he's, he says he's doing fine. I mean, he's got to be right. But there are, there are, you know, unspoken body language cues that were given away that told people that he was ready to do, he was done with it. He had written it off. And that's what I'm saying. There's there's constantly these things that don't get talked about. Like it's like, you know what I mean, Brock? Like it's a normal thing to see a veteran or a guy in the military drink himself to death every night, right? 
right? It's a normal yeah, thing. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Of course. But that's such a sign. That's a fucking sign. Yeah, that dude sign. is not happy. Yeah. That dude is right. not okay. Right. You know, or right. like, or right. the guys that fuck everything that move and the girls that do the same thing, like a girl exactly. will show up to a new boat and she will fuck everybody in her birthing within like yeah. a three month period. And we think yeah. it's okay. Yeah. It's no, not okay. Not These are herself. issues that we're seeing right. Right. and no one Absolutely. says anything. You know, right. you're literally watching somebody spiral out, like functionally mm-hmm. spiral out of control and becoming yeah. a totally different person. But it's yeah. okay because that's yeah. the job and that's what it is, you know? Right. Right. And so I think that's where it ends. Right. Is that's that's the that's the place where other people where our family members and our friends who don't have that experience can step in and say, like, I want to be educated on this. I want to Mm. to know even the people at the VA who are not which we talk about it all the time. The people we, we want veteran on veteran relationships in in the VA to help us get through certain things because they speak our language. But we need those psychologists. We need those mental health experts, those ones that have gone through who are just using the VA as a platform to get to a better job. We need those people to understand the language, to to hear us right now, what we're saying and and take it in full, uh, take it in fully and absorb it and understand that uh, it is a cry for help. And like it is there. The signs are there. Right. The signs are there. So with that said, I mean, it's. Dude, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been fascinating all the way through, bro. And um, I've just learned so much more about you. I respect you, like to the end. And um, I just can't wait to see what you do next, my man. Thanks, guys. Good talking. Yeah, with you. seriously. Thank you for coming on and and doing this interview. And yeah, I, man. I I I mean, it's kind of like the, it's always this moment of like. You know, thank. I, I feel like even a thank you isn't isn't enough here. Uh, yeah, just like thank you for everything. Uh, you know, and once you're once you're like, go ahead and send us the book. I would love yeah. to. I'd love to read it. Absolutely, okay, you know? done soon, man. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. like that's out. Go ahead and send it. I would a hundred percent will will read your book. So thank and you for we can do a everything. Show. Thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Good talk with you, fellas. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for diving into the foxhole. Thank you to everyone for being in the foxhole with us today. Please follow us on Instagram at Foxhole Stories. And for our listeners out there who are veterans and compelled to tell their story, please visit us at foxholestories.com forward slash contact. Finally, If you are a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, please call the Veteran Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 or send a text to 838-255. This support is free and available 24-7.